Welcome to the podcast of the European Society of Anesthesiology and Intensive Care. I am your host, Dr. Igor Abramovich, Chair of the Trainees Committee at the Society. And today we will be speaking about an update on the EBA European Guidelines. And we have therefore invited Dr. Krasimir Olimush, who is currently the Secretary of the European Board of Anesthesiology, also called EBA. Welcome, Chris. Well, thank you very much, Igor, and thank you to SAIC and the SAIC Trainee Committee to have me as a guest uh, to discuss this very important, but often, unfortunately, a little bit maybe neglected topic of the European training requirements. And I would also like to welcome all of our listeners, our young colleagues, and maybe not so young, and also uh, especially our future colleagues, because that's what ETR is about. It's about the future of our specialty and creating future specialists in anesthesiology. Yes, Chris. So I'm um, talking about like the EBA, European Board of Anesthesiology. Could you, you know explain me and the our young trainees listening to this and all our colleagues, what is it actually you do? Well, actually, the European Board of Anesthesiology, I would call it, it's, it's a, a group of enthusiasts, but it's actually part of a much larger organization of the European uh, Medical Specialists Union, which is actually a non-governmental organization, which uh, uh, gathers the pres uh, representatives of uh, national medical associations from 41 countries, European Union and Associated. Uh, members and acts as a political body, actually, as an advisory to the European Commission and tries to be involved in everything regarding healthcare policies uh, in the common European legislature. So it's trying to protect the interests of us doctor specialists. And as such, it also has its... Uh, boards and uh, sections and the board and section for anesthesiology are one and I'm currently the secretary of the European Board of Anesthesiology. So it's a body. We have three standing committees which are concerned with patient safety. That's one of them, a very important one. Another important one is also workforce, working conditions and welfare. And last but not least, the Education and Professional Development Subcommittee or Standing Committee, which I'm a part of and which is tasked with producing the European training requirements in anesthesiology. And that is actually the main goal of the UMS and also DBA to harmonize the training of medical specialists throughout Europe and in that way to promote workforce mobility and to achieve a common high standard in our specialty. Uh, yes. So especially to um, people like me, I mean, I'm still like a trainee and uh, within the trainee committee. So the European training requirements is kind of like a very important pathway or like document for us. And I've been reviewing it a bit and it seems like there's been an integration of new domains like point of care ultrasound and the influence of new technologies. What do you think actually about that? Well, uh, let me first say uh, the European training requirements in anesthesiology as such, it's actually a blueprint how to build an anesthesiologist. So we can call it that. 
Uh, it contains uh, three major parts in each domain. Those are knowledges, which we hope reflect the current state of the art of the profession and the knowledge we expect a new young anesthesiologist to have to be current and uh, uh, to reflect what is, what is current in our speciality. Also, the other part are skills necessary to implement those knowledges into daily clinical practice. And then the third part are the attitudes. So you can implement that in a way that takes care of patient safety, that you are aware of being a team player because our speciality is a team effort, as you know. Uh, also taking into account your co-workers and uh, providing compassionate patient care. So uh, regarding uh, the introduction of new domains, so first of all, the current format of the European training requirements, which is uh, corresponding to the requirements of the UMS, has been introduced uh, for the first time in 2013. So there have been previous versions of uh, uh, training requirements DBA has produced and that have also been published before in the EGA. But this is the new, let's say, modern version of the training requirements, which has been updated last year. And the update has been accepted at the April meeting of the UMS. As you said, we introduced two new domains uh, or two, two novelties. One is actually the point of care ultrasound, which reflects one aspect of our speciality. As you know, we live in a highly uh, technological society and we are not immune. Uh, actually, we are very happy as anesthesiologists to embrace all these new technologies coming in. And ultrasound has been one of the major uh, things that has been shaping our specialty during the last decades. And as such, we felt that it's important to introduce it in this special domain of point of care ultrasound. Uh, so it's, uh, but it's not just the diagnostic use of ultrasound that uh, uh, we embrace. For instance, we can paint a picture of the importance of ultrasound in development of let's say the domain of regional anesthesia where also uh, i as a well not so old but also not so young specialist anymore remember the time when i was a trainee and when we used to practice regional anesthesia by putting needles into the patient just knowing your surface landmarks and anatomy and then asking him where does he feel some pricks pins and needles in the extremity and then deriving if we're at the right point uh, next to the nerve or at the nerve and where to inject the local anesthetic. Then we introduced the neurostimulator, which was considered a big advance, but looking from today, it also looks a little bit uh, 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 outdated, just running currents through the patient and asking him and seeing where he twitches. Now with ultrasound, we, we have a real-time image of the anatomy and can do the procedure in a much more uh, efficient and uh, what's also very important, safer way for the patient. So, but not just regional anesthesia, also vascular access. And as I said, focus uh, use of ultrasound right next to the bed sound, bedside uh, to diagnose the patient and to have a quick orientation about the patient's condition. So uh, that's one aspect.
But to balance that, uh, um, as you know, today when you enter uh, operating theater, uh, you are faced by a plethora of monitors, uh, 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 an abundance of technology that we use to monitor our patients. And sometimes we are overwhelmed by all those numbers and most of them or many of them uh, at the very point uh, of time we are looking at them maybe are not so important, but we have to keep all of that in mind and see how they change. And sometimes we uh, face the danger of uh, using that technology a little bit too much or focusing putting our focus too much on the technology and forgetting to look at the actual patients. Because if you have five or six monitors surrounding you, then you look at all of them, but sometimes it's important just to look at the patient and to put our focus back on, on the humane aspect of our speciality and also at our team members and to see how we interact, not just with the gadgets we have, but with the people, with the actual people we work with. So that's why we also have uh, anesthesia, non-technical skills domain introduced, but not just at that domain, but interwoven in every other domain through the attitudes is that aspect that we have to be very aware of our coworkers and the patient safety. So that's two new domains we introduced. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So um, basically, uh, I could summarize that as understanding that, you know, neither the patient nor we are, are machines. And with all the technology involved, it's still important to remember that we're just humans. Um, now, um, regarding this topic, we have started a joint project with the EBA, we from the Chinese community of the Isaic, it's like the fatigue project. So when I think about fatigue, I always like think about, you know, three golden rules. I think some consultant taught me that. Something like, you know, first I need to take care of myself, secondly, take care of my team, and then lastly and thirdly, I can actually deliver excellent patient care. So um, what do you think about the fatigue project? Well, the fatigue project is is an excellent mirror of what we are trying to achieve with with uh, the new approach to training uh, anesthetists because as you already outlined uh, the most important aspects of the fatigue project it's the take care of the practitioners and then you will have a team that's able to provide excellent and efficient and paramount safe patient care because if the practitioners themselves are fatigued are overworked are distressed then of course your level of operating will not be at an optimum so uh as i said that's what we're trying to achieve a balance a new humane approach and that's the center and the heart of the competence-based concept of the ETR because, as you know, traditional medical training has been hierarchical. You had the, the, the top and then from top down the education would go. And uh, yeah. the, main, the main point would be how to raise your trainee would be toughen him up. He does not need to eat, he does not need to sleep. We anesthesiologists, we never tire, we can work throughout the 24-hour shift and then continue working 
if necessary, or sit in a car and drive home. Now we know that that's a very unsafe and and not a very good way to do our practice. And that's what we're trying to raise awareness of with the fatigue project, but also through this competence-based ETR. The competence-based concept says that we must focus on the individual, on the trainee as an individual, but also on the educators as individuals and provide them with an optimal environment to, to educate and to foster the education and the training. And that understands that there is, for instance, for the trainers, enough time to be dedicated to the trainee, for the trainee to have enough time to receive quality feedback and to discuss with his mentor. And also that is reflected by another introduction in this uh, iteration of the ETR. We also put in a handbook on competence-based medical education. That's a handbook for trainers and in which they're outlined the steps you should take in uh, guiding your trainee to the process of the training and becoming a specialist. And one of the major changes is also how you evaluate that pro progress, because in traditional uh, count-based or time-based education, you would have a certain number of procedures you would have to perform, and then somebody would sign off, okay, you did 50 spinals, that's okay. Now you are proficient in it. But nowadays we know that some trainees will require much less, much lower numbers for some procedures, for some others. A little bit more time will be required, and that's why it's very important to have this individual approach. And through traditional methods of assessment, which are maybe written exams, uh, or one glove fits all approach, uh, we cannot reflect that. But now we introduce a plethora of work-based, workplace-based assessment, uh, which range from let's say, uh, direct observation of procedural skills, those are called DOPS, where you just observe and uh, see how your trainee does in doing one skill, how he does that, for instance, placing a central venous catheter or something like that. And all the way then uh, to entrustable uh, professional activities, which is the high level of assessment, the highest level, which takes... Uh, various knowledges, skills, and attitudes, and looks at the residents, how they integrate them in providing care, for instance, doing a case of, I don't know, laparoscopic uh, abdominal surgery, anesthesia for laparoscopic abdominal surgery in ASA 1 or 2 patient. And then if your trainee does well, you have uh, the ETR also assigns a certain level of competence that's needed, ranging from A, which is simply knowledge of the procedure, to D, where the trainee is able to manage the case completely independently. And if that is the case, then you say, okay, from now on, you can do that, for instance, uh, under indirect supervision, you can do such cases by yourselves. So that's mm -hmm. also being mm -hmm. one of the novelties we introduced in this ETR. Yes, it seems like what you are doing within the EBA is kind of paramount, especially to training and trainees. And this blueprint you've been talking about, you've been training requirements, 
Well, it does seem to be very valuable and I hope we move away from the traditional account-based training or like case-based because I mean, from my own experience, like you said, it never says how good a trainee is or if they're actually ready for their diploma or not. Um, so just another thing. So you've introduced all these new things um, last year and was published in April. My question is, since it's at the beginning of the year, what plans does the EBA has? Anything you would like to share with us about the future? Yes, but let me just digress a little bit before talking about the future, what we also currently face and are facing and will be facing in the future also as the EBA. As I said, we are a political body also, and the ETR, besides its primarily role as being an educational tool, also has a small political uh, significance to play. And that's why we have yes. two other domains yes. which are very important. And there was uh, uh, some foresight to introduce them years ago into our ETR, and that's the domain of intensive care medicine. And another one is the critical emergency medicine. And uh, why those these domains are here? Because those are uh, competences we anesthesiologists in Europe, because we are tra talking about the European training requirements, have been for decades involved with and in Europe also in perioperative intensive care and in providing care and and uh, in emergency medicine in many European countries anesthesiologists have been heavily involved and uh, at the mainstay of of uh, caring for these patients so that's why we also want the ETR to in a way delineate our areas of competences. We will not use the term fence off, and that's what we are fighting against because nobody in current, in, 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 in modern medicine can fence off some competences, say yeah. this area is only mine. We are witnesses that medicine is becoming more and more complex and uh, that we are uh, more and more working in a very interdisciplinary environment. And that's why the UMS also has uh, multidisciplinary joint committees, which take care of those multidisciplinary regions. But we also wanted to preserve those areas and domains of competences for us anesthesiologists to say, we've been here and we intend to stay competent in these domains which does not mean that we want to take something away from anyone or prevent anyone from doing it, but we just want to be uh, keep doing what we have been doing for decades in Europe, so be involved in intensive care medicine and also in the critical aspect of emergency medicine. So that's what we have these very two important domains there. So uh, talking about the future and what's the next step up from the ETR, uh, now what we are working on in the EPA is also uh, the furtherment of the education and harmonization of specialists. So with DTR, we take care of residents and building an anesthesiologist, but building an anesthesiologist is a lifelong process, as you know, and what you signed up to. If you didn't, now you should be aware. And so the learning never stops, yeah. the education never yeah. stops, and what we want is also that the education of specialists is harmonized and the training is harmonized throughout Europe, especially in some very important areas which require uh, uh, some advanced training for anesthesiologists. So that's what we introduced to the UMS, the concept of the professional development modules, which are specific for a speciality. 
So the first one we developed was the professional development model in uh, pain medicine. And now the other ones we are working on currently are uh, one in disaster management medicine or disaster medicine and one other in geriatric medicine, because, you know, that's also a very growingly important aspect of our speciality. Yeah. So maybe this is like one of the best thing about anesthesiology is our specialty that we have so many connections to so many different patients and fields and other specialties. So basically like my experience, like you said, if you start an anesthesiology, you connect to so many other domains. That's it. It's our versatility and uh, we touch so many areas, so many domains and competences you can be involved with with anesthesiology. It's it's a very vibrant speciality. So uh, that's what, something I want to stress to our younger colleagues. Uh, be enthusiastic about anesthesiology. I would like to invite all of those still thinking where to find themselves. Anesthesiology opens so many possibilities, so many doors that uh, it's it's practically everyone can find something for himself uh, in anesthesiology. Yes. So basically, keep calm and call anesthesia. That's it. Thank you so much for joining. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode. The European Society of Anesthesiology and Intensive Care releases monthly podcasts on our website and various streaming platforms. We hope you will join us for the next one. 